Hey folks, welcome to another episode of Health Shift, the podcast that bridges the gap between conventional modalities and ancient healing for complete mind, body, and spirit well-being. We want to help you make a shift. And please note that these discussions are not medical advice, nor should they be used in place of medical assessments and treatments. So let's get started. Today, I'd like to welcome Dr. James Greenblatt, a pioneer in the field of integrative medicine. Dr. Greenblatt has treated patients since 1988 after receiving his medical degree and completing his psychiatry residency at George Washington University. Dr. Greenblatt completed his fellowship in child and adolescent psychiatry at Johns Hopkins Medical School, and he currently serves as the chief medical officer at Walden Behavioral Care in Waltham, Mass., and serves as assistant clinical professor of psychiatry at Tufts University School of Medicine and Dartmouth College Geisel School of Medicine. Dr. Greenblatt has lectured internationally on the scientific evidence for nutritional interventions in psychiatry and mental illness. He is the author of seven books, including Finally Focused, The Breakthrough of Natural Treatment Plan for ADHD. He is the founder of Psychiatry Redefined, an educational platform dedicated to the transformation of psychiatry, which offers an online CME-approved courses, webinars, and fellowships for professionals about functional and integrative medicine for mental illness. I've actually known Jim since the 80s when he was discussing the power of omega-3s in ADD and ADHD. I loved what he was discussing over the years and have referred countless patients to him for his cutting edge therapies and ways of combining nutrition and psychiatry. Boy, are we in for a treat today. So welcome, Dr. Greenblatt. Uh, Thank you, Julie. Nice to see you again. Yes, yes. So tell us your story, how you got to where you are today and when you got your calling for this. Sure, I mean, as a small child, I always uh, wanted to go to medical school and then through high school when I started getting more involved in nutrition and exercise and actually yoga you know i thought i was going to go to medical school and you know solve all the world's problems with brown rice and kale and at the (laughs) time i was doing kundalini yoga and um nine years later you know i came out as a psychopharmacologist a child psychiatrist you know trained in how to prescribe medications so it was it was a long nine years uh initially frustrating because i really did believe in brown rice kale and yoga um, but, you know, during those nine years, I, I learned a lot about medicine, uh, what, what is good and what's not so good. And it didn't take me long when I uh, came out into a practice to realize that the psychopharm, the medication model has its limitations. And quickly, um, early on in, in the 80s, I got back involved in the reason why I went into medicine, which is how nutrition affects brain function and, and mental health in kids and adults. Yeah, wow, that's that's absolutely amazing. It, it feels very similar to mine. I, I remember uh, starting undergrad school in nutrition and feeling very underwhelmed and said, boy, this is not exactly what I want to do. Um, after undergrad, went to uh, chiropractic school for six months and said, well, this is interesting, but not exactly what I want to do. And then came back and did my grad work in counseling and psych, which I use every day of my life. But like you kind of had this very little bit of a convoluted path for sure. Yeah. So what are some of the obstacles that got in your way professionally? Well, I think, um, you know, as a psychiatrist and the history of psychiatry, whether we go back 50 years, 100 years or 1000 years is pretty dismal and pretty scary. 
um, because I think of our fear of mental illness, whether we you know lock people up in chains or make fun of them, um, it's been um, kind of brutal as we did not have tools. And so when uh, medication, particularly Prozac, kind of hit the market in the 80s, it became a very quick uh, cultural response. Both patients appreciated a pill that would cure their depression and doctors found a pill that would theoretically cure someone's depression. So it really revolutionized the field. And I think um, it took about 10 years for people to understand the backside of this you know, purely medication approach. So that was kind of the biggest obstacle that medication just became so quickly the answer to everyone's mental health challenges. Yeah, yeah, I so I so agree. It's interesting. I'm, I'm actually going to be doing a solo cast pretty soon about one of my favorite aunts growing up. Um, and basically, I do recall the days I was a young child when she would have a nervous breakdown and the EMTs were called and they would, you know, handcuff her and take her off with the white jackets. So I do remember those days in terms of, you know, early life and how psychiatry was back in the day. So yeah, yeah. So tell us about your your assessment style, your treatment style with patients, since you are again using more of a functional medicine nutrition approach. Yeah, I think over the years, um, like everyone, use different terms. You know, from uh, the only term I dislike is alternative because I don't <laughs> think anything we do is alternative. Sure. But um, the you know integrative approach to psychiatry. I think it's been embraced by academic medical centers, um, which is great. And, and that is more looking at mind-body relationships, yoga, mindfulness, maybe even acupuncture. But I think what has missed by traditional psychiatry, academic medicine, is a functional medicine for psychiatry. Looking at you know underlying causes, looking at nutritional, metabolic, or genetic influences. So I, I really focus on that kind of biomedical evaluation um, in addition to kind of a comprehensive psychosocial and, and probably put more emphasis on family history mm. than, than many people. So family history, biopsychosocial, but the biomarkers, looking at blood levels of vitamins, looking at genetic vulnerabilities, looking at the gut. It, it's complicated, but I think particularly for mental illness, it's the only way to really get a, uh, a broad kind of understanding of what might be contributing to those symptoms. Yes, yes. Um, and, and we probably use some very, you know, similar approaches in terms of, you know, looking at lab values and whatnot. And what I try to educate my patients about is that in traditional medicine, we have, you know, the bell curve. But what about these poor people that are, you know, on the uh, the outliers, so to speak, and in the functional medicine model, we really look at ideal lab values, what's going to produce health rather than just absence of disease. Yeah, I think that's critical. And, and I think the core principle of any functional medicine practice is the concept of um, not only optimal, uh, functional, but kind of individualized. And, and we all are very different biochemically. And, you know, too often our traditional world, everyone gets a Prozac a prescription, even in the integrative world, everyone gets a supplement and not uh, really addressing the individual differences um, that uh, kind of make up who we are and what makes mental health 
treatment so challenging? Mm, yes. And I, I love the fact that you really go and do a deep dive into the family history and the environment, because again, you know, it's one of the areas where functional medicine can become a little bit reductionistic as well. You know, it's, it is definitely one tool and offers certainly a roadmap and a better roadmap than conventional medicine. But um, we really do need to look at that environment and what are those psychosocial, you know, um, elements that affect us as well. So, you know, er early on, I remember, I'll never forget, you know, when I was beginning to do testing and had a patient who was depressed and fatigued uh, with a very, very low B12 level and a level that I knew was related to her symptoms. Um, it was under 200 and um, I was excited because I, I, I knew she'd be feeling better, but she didn't, you know, and it was only after months where she trusted me enough to tell me about a, a very abusive, you know, domestic relationship. Mm -hmm. So it's not always about, you know, a vitamin deficiency or a genetic test. There's so much in our lives that affect who we are and how we're feeling. Yes, yes, absolutely. You know, more recently, I've been focusing on, on women's health, and uh, particularly with women who are perimenopausal and menopausal. And I'm just appalled at how unheard, unheld, and uncared for and dismissed they are by their primary care physicians, their gynecologists. Um, and most of them, again, walk away with their prescription for Prozac, which, um, you know, again, it's a good Band-Aid, but it's not necessarily getting at all those root causes. So... So tell us a little bit more about how you um, manage patients with nutrition, because I know one of the things that I find as a, as a nutritionist is that, you know, nutrition can sometimes be a, a slower go in terms of actually feeling the benefits. Um, so do you find that in your practice? And, and if so, you know, how do you keep people motivated? Yeah, I think um, it's really important. And that distinction is uh, clarified on day one that, you know, a kind of nutrition or functional medicine approach can take months and uh, medication, you might notice a difference in weeks. And so for people to understand that, I think is uh, step one. But I, I think the other valuable kind of part of the therapeutic alliance is sh uh, showing people the test results and helping explain um, what it means to have a low B12 or low levels of omega fatty acids or a certain genetic polymorphism. So when I have the tests in front of me and I can share them with patients or families and I can explain, it might take three months for you to see mm. a difference with this abnormality. Um, this abnormality, we might be able to help you in two weeks. So I, I think education is really the key. Um, I, I think one of the common problems that I see in, in our community is people getting so excited and making lists of 10 supplements and patients get overwhelmed because nobody's <laughs> going to take 10 supplements in the morning, 10 in the evening, and, not, and particularly if they don't understand or, or know why. So I really try to focus on this concept of therapeutic alliance. What does the patient want? What can they handle? Sometimes I have to make the assessment that they say, oh yeah, give me everything. But I, I just know an adolescent is not going to pop 20 pills. Mm -hmm. If they do it for a week, they're not going to do it for two weeks. So I think that the skill and the is prioritizing the nutritional supplement program. And with dietary changes, um, you know, the food is, is so powerful, uh, emotional, 
cultural, and um, so I'm much slower at letting patients take the lead as to how they can make changes in their diet. Um, you know, I don't tell everyone to get off gluten or dairy, but if I have a test that guides me in that direction, that will be more motivating for that patient. Sure, sure, absolutely. Yes, um, do you use food sensitivity testing in your in your practice? Yeah, I do it on, on every child that we see. Uh -huh. And then um, probably 50% of the adults because there's hundreds of tests out there. So we're picking and choosing the most valuable. Um, so for some, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And are there particular themes that you're seeing right now in terms of uh, particular mental health challenges with clients? <clears throat> well, I think, um, you know, running an inpatient program during the day and seeing outpatients in the evening, it's just been overwhelming in terms of the increased volume of children, uh, adolescents and adults struggling with, with anxiety, uh, OCD, eating disorders, uh, depression uh, and suicide attempts. I mean, they've all increased dramatically um, over this um, last year and a half. Sure, sure. And, and of course, I think, you know, the, obviously the pandemic is, is a major influence, all the changes in terms of how we do communicate with each other. Um, do you feel that there's also, you know, sort of a, a food nutrient uh, thing that you're seeing with, with many people? Uh, my biggest concern, I don't want to offend too many listeners, but I, I think that my biggest concern has been a vegan diet for some adolescents. Yes. And I think um, an adult who makes a choice um, can usually eat foods um, and, and understand what a vegetarian vegan diet is. But some of these young kids, 9, 10, 12 year olds who just are refusing to eat meat are not really getting adequate nutrients to get through puberty. So that has been a big factor in, in my practice and the work that we do with eating disorders is a veg vegetarian vegan diet in an adolescent that is not being monitored by a dietitian. So true. And, and you know what, I, I find that even again in the menopausal group of women um, that again, especially my vegetarians are suffering much more in terms of mental health challenges, energy challenges, cognitive function, things like that. Um, but in general, I'm always having the protein discussion, I would say every day, <laughs> multiple times a day. Uh, you know, that we need that protein and flesh protein is digestible better for most people. So, yeah, no, it's it's frightening because, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing it. And for some of these illnesses like eating disorders, which is life threatening, um, this direct research correlating uh, vegan vegetarian diet uh, precipitating and um, making outcomes much harder um, and uh, poor outcomes and lower rates of recovery. So we have something that we know we can address, but culturally uh, a vegan diet is becoming a symbol of power and prestige and ethics. And so it's been a very challenging um, confrontation for some very um, sick adolescents. Yes, yes, I so agree. Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with um, everything is you know, plant-based. So what does plant-based really mean? And I try to educate people that plant-based means, you know, half your plate full of non-starchy vegetables, but then you need to get that, you know, good 20 plus grams of protein and a, and a serving of healthy carbohydrates. So I'm, I absolutely agree with you on that. Um, 
So, you know, I'm in such alignment with you. I have, have really been so thrilled to know you from way back in the 80s. I remember your first lecture on fish oil and ADD back in the day. Um, and you've done so much pioneering work in this arena. Um, what are the three tips that you would have to offer people in this confusing healthcare world today? Well, I, I think the word confusing is, is, you know, has to be capitalized because, you know, we all know we can read an article from a scientific journal that tells every woman to, you know, eat calcium or take calcium supplements. And the next day from the same reputable journal, <laughs> they'll say, you know, calcium is bad for you. So the information is contradictory and confusing and, and challenging. And, um, and nutrition information, as you know, has been like that for many, many years. So I, I'd say one of the most important things is, is don't kind of follow fads um, and, and just think practically. And I think in terms of diet, I, I think my advice over the years has grown to um, not really kind of what to eat, but what not to eat. Um, because we've shown people can be very healthy on plant-based diets and people can be very healthy on animal-based diets, just culturally around the world and the globe. So the not to eat um, has been my mantra, and that's particularly been the refined uh, sugars and junk foods um, for the kids, because we do know that that affects brain function, depletes nutrients. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the second thing is the concept I mentioned earlier, the biochemical individuality, everyone's different. So just, you know, six people with uh, anxiety doesn't mean they're all going to benefit from the same medicine or the same supplement or the same yoga practice. It's not that simple. And you have to really kind of appreciate um, and work with an, a, a practitioner who can understand you as an individual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I think the third thing is kind of respect um, genetics. And it doesn't mean that, you know, genetics is destiny. It's just a vulnerability. So it's important that we understand uh, family history and any genetic uh, polymorphisms, but everything um, can change. And we have so much control over our health and our well-being. Yes, yes, I, I so agree with you on that. I've, um, I adopted very early on doing uh, genetic testing and I've tried out probably about five or six different platforms. I've finally landed upon one that I really like because it does use food as medicine first and then looks at, you know, supplements, environment and family history and all of that. So I really like the way that it's really connected in that way. Um, and it's wonderful that we have these blueprints, you know, and it is just that it's a blueprint or a map. So ah, this has been wonderful. So thank you so much for being here and sharing your wisdom today. And how can people connect with you? Uh, sure. We, I mean, I have two websites, the psychiatryredefined.org is our educational platform, mostly for clinicians who want to learn more about functional medicine for psychiatry. And then the jamesgreenblattmd.com is my website where our books on ADHD and eating disorders and depression um, will house. Wonderful, wonderful. And are you still doing um, private clinical practice as well, Dr. Greenblatt? Not, not for clients any longer. Right now I'm primarily just um, uh, consulting with uh, physicians and uh, nurse practitioners and so focused on on training the next generation so we can uh, kind of improve mental health care gotcha gotcha that's wonderful i'm glad i'm really glad to know that oh wonderful
So awesome. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, and share with your friends, family, and coworkers. I'm on a mission to change the current paradigm of healthcare and mental health care. And you can find me at juliefreeman.net, on Instagram at juliefreemanmindfulwellness, and on YouTube at Julie Freeman Functional Medicine La Jolla. Until next time.